Let's get down to business. Welcome to Profits and Purpose, a Colorado Business Roundtable production that unapologetically tells the story that business is good through conversations with Colorado's business leaders. Please welcome your host, the president of the Colorado Business Roundtable, Debbie Brown. Hey, thanks everyone for joining us today for Colorado Business Roundtable's podcast called Profits and Purpose. And today I'm really excited to introduce you to Dan Haley, who is the president and CEO of Colorado Oil and Gas Association. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You bet. It's probably no surprise to anybody who knows me that I'm a big fan of the oil and natural gas industry, which sounds like a funny way to start our conversation. Of course, you know that because I worked for many years actually within the industry and have such an affinity towards the men and women who provide energy, heat my home, help me drive my car, and um, you know, really, really appreciate all that you and the industry does for the state of Colorado. So that's a great place to start, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, we appreciate everything that you've done for industry as well. Well, tell me more about you. I know about you, but for some of my Colorado Business Roundtable folks, tell us a little bit more about you and how you came to be president and CEO of COGA. Well, I took kind of a, a strange path to, to get here or even to get into the oil and natural gas industry uh, work. Uh, I'm a Colorado native, born and raised here, uh, went to school at the University of Wyoming, and I got a journalism degree. And I had planned on being a journalist for my whole life. I had no plan B, and uh, that's just all I wanted to do. And so I worked in daily newspapers for about 20 years little less uh, than 20 years, a few years in Wyoming, and then worked my way back to Colorado. This is where I wanted to be, where I wanted to to raise a family. I worked in Fort Collins for a little while, and then I got a job at the Denver Post. And that was at a time, uh, 1998, when there was two newspapers in town, and it was kind of a vibrant news environment and a a great place to work. And, you know, I thought, man, I can just, I can do this forever. But the newspaper industry changed greatly. Uh, in that period of time, and uh, really, to make a long story short, started thinking about what what else can I do? <laughs> what else do I want to do? Uh, because I think it's going to be hard to, uh, you know, continue in this profession and send two kids to college. And so I, I left in 2011 and have been, you know, trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up ever since that time. I've worked in corporate communications for a little while, did some consulting, and I've been here at COGA for a little over five years, a long path uh, to get here. But as you said at the beginning, this is a fantastic industry. The people who work in it are just that, you know, the typical sort of salt of the earth people that you you hear about. And uh, I just love representing them and advocating uh, on, on their behalf. Well, and I suspect that your skills as a communicator, whether it's in the written word or, you know, in all the ways that you communicate the value of the oil and natural gas industry has been valuable in your position as the head of the of COGA. I hope so. I, I hope that that's been one of the, the things that I've brought to the table is, is trying to tell our story in a little bit different way to sort of try to get out in front of some of the issues that we're dealing with here in Colorado and, and, um, being a, a, a strong and, and forceful voice for this industry. And, and, you know, as I said, telling that story in a different way and also trying to utilize some of the relationships that I've, I've developed over the years to make sure that this industry has a seat at the table and is taken seriously when we come to the table 
and that we're able to be a part of the solution, ideally, to what's mm-hmm. happening. Absolutely. Tell me more about COGA. You know, I'm familiar with the organization, but again, what's the mission and scope? What is your work look like on a regular year? And then we'll get into COVID, you know, how that might have affected it. But what sure. what's the general mission and scope of COGA? So COGA is a trade association. We've been around since 1984. And when I shorthand that I say, if we're doing our jobs correctly or properly, our members will be able to operate in Colorado. Essentially, we advocate for industry, whether that's through the regulatory arm of all the rulemakings that happen in Colorado, the legislature, uh, we offer advocacy through public relations, working with the media. Our job is to, to try to make it you know, possible for our, our members to work here and to really be a unifying voice for industry when we do come to the table. And has COVID affected your work, Dan, as far as COGA? I, I would suspect that oil and gas was probably readily deemed essential to Colorado's operations, but how, how has COVID played in? Yeah, so COVID obviously had a couple different impacts on, on COGA and on our industry. The first being that it drove demand for our product down. So you have globally, you have economies shutting in, people traveling less, traveling by air less, um, traveling by car less, companies shutting down, not needing the power, using the power that they used in the past, whether that's to manufacture something or just to, to power an office or heat an office. And so demand went down uh, earlier this year in March, February, March, April. And then at the same time, you had Russia and Saudi Arabia flooding the market with supply, flooding oil onto the market. And they were doing that to break the back of the American shale revolution. They saw what was happening. They saw demand going down. It's your basic high school economics class. Supply is up, demand is down, the price is going to come down. So COVID has had a negative impact on our industry in terms of commodity prices, which then has an impact on the number of wells that we're drilling, which then impacts the number of people we're able to employ, contractors who build the sites where we drill wells, which then I'm going through the whole story here, but then that impacts the taxes that we pay that go back into the state, which will then soon impact schools and parks and recreation centers and all these other things. It's all tied in together. So COVID has had definitely had negative impacts on, on our industry. And our, our hope is that long-term, as that begins to, you know, a vaccine comes out, people feel more comfortable getting out in crowds, traveling, that that demand will come up. But I believe long-term, it will be there. From a COGA standpoint, as a trade association, it's impacted on how we, how we talk to our members. We don't gather in person anymore. Part of the value of being in a trade association is getting together, whether it's a cocktail party or a conference or a seminar, and you're meeting people and building contacts and, and building your, your network and your, your company, all those different things. So we've had to be very innovative and change what we do and have conferences over Zoom and just, you know, just like anybody else. But you know what? That's what our members do. Our members are innovative when they're faced with a challenge, they, they engineer their way around it. And so as a trade association, we need to do the same thing and make sure that we're up to that, up to that challenge. Yeah, I think well said. And I, and I think I remember too, perhaps in the spring when oil was trading in the negative, I don't recall the exa- how, how long it was in that framework, but I, I just couldn't hardly believe my eyes. It was almost like a gut punch. Like how can one industry, you know, already getting hit like every other industry and yeah. then 
and then add on two or three more incredible challenges. Yeah, it traded below zero for about 24 hours, which I didn't even know was possible. I think that's the first time that's ever happened. I missed that in econ class. I didn't, yeah, I thought, what a crazy world. It had something something to do with May contracts being due and there was just too much supply and there was nowhere for it to go because that demand had had bottomed out. And so it was it was scary to to watch that happen. And fortunately, the, those prices have rebounded uh, a little bit. Um, the price for oil is in somewhere in about the mid to low 40s right now, which is much better than being that negative number it was in the springtime. But ideally, again, as I said, we're hopeful um, that the, the long-term outlook looks good. As much as we talk about renewables and the, the need to change our energy mix, the world uh, is driven by fossil fuels. It's driven by oil and natural gas. They are the, the underpinnings of our modern society. And for the long foreseeable future, you're going to need this product uh, to be produced. And so um, we, we feel com- com- confident about that. Right. Once once uh, the, the vaccine is the ultimate stimulus, right, to actually help the economy get back on track. And Dan, that leads me to another question that I think is so relevant to your industry, which, uh, you know, all the different challenges that you're faced with, even in a non-COVID year, of course, then you put some of those other challenges you talked about. But one of the one of the things you and I have worked on together and Colorado Business Roundtable tries to be a good ally to our friends in the oil and natural gas industry are really the the political threats that you face, not only ballot issues or potential legislation at the state capitol or regulatory framework, you know, it seems like that that alone is enough to um, cause your folks to, um, you know, lose sleep at night. Tell us, tell us what are the biggest challenges for you all right now in terms of public policy or, or regulatory? Sure. So there's probably two different things that I would think about. Uh, the first one uh, that you had mentioned, which is uh, activists and these folks in Colorado who are fueled by outside money, who don't want another drop of this product to leave the ground. They want oil and gas to cease in Colorado and they won't stop until that's a reality. And so that's a small faction of people in this state, but they have an outsized voice because they receive money mostly from out of state. There was a ballot initiative two years ago, which would have been uh, you know, devastating for industry and something like 90 to 95% of the money for that came from out of state or from Boulder County, just, just really two places there. And so um, there's that faction of people that we're going to continue to fight. And I believe that Coloradans understand that that is an extreme position that they take and will reject that every single time. And then you have what comes from our political leaders. And in Colorado, we have uh, elected Democrats across the board. They have uh, more control in this state than they've had since the 1930s. A lot of the rules that are coming down are coming down based on legislation that has passed, uh, that Democrats passed solely on their own in uh, 2019, something called Senate Bill 181. And so we're in the process of doing a lot of rulemakings now, more than a dozen rulemakings that are related to Senate Bill 181. Even before that had happened, Colorado had more rulemakings, more regulatory oversight than any other state in the country. And so we have uh, what I would say are the toughest rules in the country governing oil and gas in, in Colorado. And so we're in the process of going through some of those right now. We'll have more next year as well. And so the, the good part of that is, is that we live in a state where people care about their environment. 
And we care about the environment too. And it's important that we're able to show Coloradans how we're producing this resource cleaner, better, and safer than anywhere. Part of that is the tough rules that the state has put into place. The other part of it is technology and innovation that's happening out here in the field. And some of these things are being pioneered here in Colorado. And they're high tech, they're very impressive, and they're making our operators much more efficient at the wellhead, but also just making that extraction and um, the, the moving of that product downstream much cleaner than anywhere in the world. And we, have, we call it the Colorado molecule. And we've been able to quantify how this product is being uh, developed here cleaner, better, and safer than anywhere in the world. So when you talk about what we were talking about with the long-term aspect, we know we need this product to survive, frankly, in the United States, across the globe. So why don't we get it here in Colorado? If you are passing laws or creating regulations that impact local energy development, then you're doing things that are bad for the environment. You want this product. If you care about the environment, you want this product developed here in Colorado. Look at what's happening in California. Their production has gone down in recent years as they've made it very tough there. Now they're importing energy from foreign countries that don't care about the environment, that don't have the same labor standards that we have. That's not what they want. That's not what was intended when they passed these well-intentioned laws to get cleaner and, and greener. And I think I even saw a tweet from someone, it might've been the governor, I can't recall from California. Wasn't there something about, you know, turn off your computers and your lights and your air conditioning from two to four, because yeah. really in 2020, yeah. we're going to yeah, turn off our homes for a couple hours in the middle of the day. I, I don't know. I thought it was kind of a joke, but it was a real thing. Right. And they have said that. And the governor uh, there has even said, you know, we got off fossil fuels too quickly. They don't have the, the renewables necessary to power their grid. And so you end up with people dying in heat waves in 2020. That's not how we need to live. We know the climate is changing. We know some areas are getting warmer. So what do we need to do? We need to prepare ourselves for that and figure out how we survive those things. And part of that is utilizing the resources that we have here. And, and if we're developing these resources cleaner in, in Colorado, cleaner in the United States, why would we rely on other countries to do that for us? And I think that, you know, it's important that in Colorado that we understand that and that we have a discussion about it. We don't yeah. have to guess what's going to happen if we keep going down this road. We know we will end up like California. Let's look and see what they did and talk about how we can avoid that and, and make smart decisions for ourselves, for our communities and, and for our families. Yeah, good point, Dan. I feel like one of um, the coolest things that I've had the privilege to do is actually go on a tour myself with the folks who are producing oil and natural gas in Colorado and be on site, uh, you know, watching a frack operation real time, watching drilling real time, looking at some completions um, real time. And, uh, you know, I know that you probably feel the same way. It's, it's interesting when Coloradans get to see it and have their questions answered by the scientists and engineers and the folks that are on the ground it's such a different perspective, and I almost wish we could take more Coloradans out there. I might pitch to you, maybe we do a COGA, uh, you know, Colorado Business Roundtable tour where I videotape, you know, we can't take a thousand people out. It's not safe, you know, to have folks um, in that environment, in that in that quantity. Yeah. But, you know, perhaps we figure out a way to partner with you to help show people more, uh, you know, what's happening, get their questions answered. We'd love to be a part of that solution with you. I think that'd be fantastic. We've been talking about that now and in, in this day of Zoom and everything else. How can we 
get somebody out there with a GoPro that can just show us things and have people on because you're absolutely right. When you see it, it's amazing. And it's frustrating for me because we have one area we have not done a good job of is showing that to people and translating how this is a high tech industry. We have been trained to believe that Amazon is high tech because we log onto a computer and we order a book. But what happens at that point? Some guy walks over to a shelf, takes the book off a shelf, puts it on a truck and they drive it to my house. How is that possibly high tech? But that's how we think. Right. These guys out in the field are drilling a mile down, two or three miles across and hitting a target within a couple of inches. That's high tech, right? And we need to get that out so people understand exactly what's happening and kind of flip our, our thinking on this. This is not an old, dirty industry with James Dean covered in oil coming in from the oil field. That's just not how it works, but that's how we're you know, conditioned yes. to think. It's the word picture. I think when I first uh, had a tour, I really, you know, it was, it struck me that it almost seemed like a NASA, but underground, yeah. you, know, you know, the technological uh, equipment that was happening and the precision, you know, it was just so impressive. So we'll have to work on, I don't know that I'll wear a GoPro on my helmet, but that would be kind of fun. And we could partners to log in. Yeah. We'll have that be you. That would yeah. be good. Sounds good. Well, what other, are there any other challenges you want to bring to our attention before we wrap up, Dan, that, that perhaps the broad-based business community might need to be aware of? You know, I think many of our challenges are, are challenges that other industries share as well in Colorado. And I think that we need to start having some discussions about what kind of state do we, what kind of state do we want to live in going forward. And I, I want this to be my personal opinion. Somebody who grew up here and wants to raise my children here, I want this to be a state where you can work with your hands for a living and be respected and be valued, whether that's in oil and gas, whether that's in agriculture, whether that's in construction. Uh, these are jobs that we that have built the state and we need them around. We need to continue that, to have them and we don't want to import those things, right? These are things that we should value in this state and want to continue to have. And so I think it's good if our broader business community continue to have those conversations and stand up for each other when we need to uh, understand that our state's changing, our demographics are changing, and that we're changing with it, right? We all have really good stories to tell, whether it's about climate change or anything else. We need to tell those stories and, and stand up for each other and, and stick up for each other, knowing that oftentimes our, our way of life is either under attack or, or being questioned. And I think that's a great place to end our conversation. We'll certainly have you back as situations arise where you need some of our members to perhaps be stronger allies for you. But Dan, um, appreciate all that you do with Colorado Oil and Gas Association and your leadership in that vital industry for our state. Know that Colorado Business Roundtable is an ally for you and how we can be helpful. I hope you keep us informed. Um, always happy to support my friends who work in the industry. So thanks for joining today. Thanks so much. And thanks for all you do, Debbie. We appreciate it. This has been a presentation of the Colorado Business Roundtable. Be sure to check out all of our episodes on Podcatchers Everywhere at cobrt.com. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom, Deaf Communications. Thank you for listening to Profits and Purpose.